Listener Production. The creators of this podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which it is recorded. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are the first storytellers of this land. We pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging, as well as any Indigenous people who may be listening today. Everyone relax, this is Tofu Up. I'm Charlie Clawson. Oh, well, Anderson, hello and thank you for watching. And if you are watching, potentially mm. you're on our Patreon watching this, um, we've had issues with Will and Shadows uh, in some of these records when we do it in the middle of the day. Now Will is in the light and it is blinding. Blinded, <laughs> by, blinded the light, by the light. Wrapped up like a deuce. <laughs> like a deuce. <laughs> What's the next line? Another is runner in the, the night. The next line? Yeah. Another runner in the night. That's what I am, all wrapped up like a deuce, another runner in the night. Uh, deuce is a euphemism for poo, right? Like you're wrapped like a deuce. It, I thought, is that what it means? Yeah, to drop a deuce. Drop a, I mean, more American vernacular than Australian. But What does a deuce mean? Is it two? Number two, right? Yeah. That's where juice yeah, comes from, from right? French like number two, juice. it's a juice. Uno, juice. <laughs> <laughs> well, is that Italian? I think I went from French to Italian <laughs> or Spanish. It was European. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's an Adam Sandler comedy set in Europe. Yeah. I'm Rob Schneider with the most offensive, <laughs> right. non vaguely Euro- Well, not offensive because no one knows who's meant to be offended by it. <laughs> Just everyone. Everyone who isn't yeah. white gets offended by that. Yeah, well, in a way, it's not offensive. It represents a multiculturalism, you know. It's the journey that the accent went on that really actually makes it important. But you're right, yes, generic European juice, I imagine that's where it comes from. What's that so um, called? Was it blind, Blinded by the Light? Blinded by the Light. Manfred, Mann, Manfred Mann's Earth Band? Does that sound right? Yeah, yeah Manfred so. Mann, that sounds right. Okay, let's bring this I up. don't know if I ever re- realised that Manfred Mann's band were called the Earth Band. I always just thought they were called Manfred Mann. Oh, you've actually heard of Manfred Mann. I was just, I've was i never heard of Manfred Mann before. I've heard of Manfred Mann, but, but I was under the impression that Manfred Mann was not one man. Manfred Mann was actually men. It should be Manfred like Mann. But thought- are you suggesting that Manfred Mann is like KC and the Sunshine Band? It's Manfred Mann it doesn't, and the Earth Band. It doesn't appear to be Manfred, like Bruce Springsteen and E Street, you know, the E Street yeah. Band. This, it appears to be, that's the one title, Manfred Mann's, like apostrophe S, possessive Earth Band. So he's Manfred Mann, okay. but this is Manfred Mann's Earth Band. But is the leader of Manfred Mann's Earth Band Manfred Mann, or is this just a like Monty Python's Flying Circus? Oh, it's just right, an invented yeah, like character. Baron Munchausen's. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> uh, I don't know, actually. But, okay, uh-huh. let's just confirm that. Okay. Well, we got the lyrics wrong. Blinded by the yeah. light, revved up like a juice. Another, oh, revved up like a juice. Yeah, okay. not wrapped up like a juice. Another runner in the night. That sounds like it's got to be a car, so maybe a juice is also. Should I just type yeah, in juice? some sort of twin engine or like juice car? What does it mean? Juiced up? It's not juice, juice though, is it? It's juice. Slang or juice metaphor? What am I typing in? Metaphor? Juice? <laughs> I don't juice know. Juice car? Meaning? All right, here we go. Juice meaning. Let's go. Yeah, let's go with that. All right, more definition. So, okay, it's a two- on the dice or playing cards, so, you know, to roll, to roll a deuce. Oh, yeah. It's okay. also a yeah. $2 bill. Uh, obviously, it's a score of 40 all in a game of tennis. Uh, using it as a euphemism for devil and expressions of annoyance, as in, what the deuce, of course. That's more like a oh, okay. Mr. Burns kind of thing. 
I think yeah. we need to go to um, what's that one that's Urban Dictionary? <laughs> <laughs> we're, 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 we've gone through the Oxford Dictionary. We want that, that, that boring shit. <laughs> Give us the Urban Dictionary. I hope that this is how modern day high school debaters start their debates. <laughs> yeah, by the yeah. way, the Oxford Dictionary <laughs> defines juice as, and then the Urban Dictionary defines juice as. Okay, so dropping a juice. Uh, spoken yeah. to denote going number twos or having a bowel movement. Mm. Uh, the example of these is hell red. I'd go. Uh, I'd I'd go, but need to run home and drop a juice real quick tonight. All right, <laughs> an okay. what's okay. going on in that real conversation? Tonight, all right. What are Red and his mate up to that he ne- he wants to, but he's got to run home and drop a juice before they do it? Yeah. I mean, I appreciate the fact that he doesn't want to poo in public. Yeah, but if it's only a quick juice that he's got to drop, the fact that he has to go all the way home—that's actually. We, we should explore that more. That's more his issue than the issue of the juice. Where are they? That I mean, I had I had a, an incident like Red's mm. friend um, on Monday, actually, which is a story I'm going to get mm. to later in the show, but I was in the main street of town and had a sudden need to run home and mm. drop a juice. But I was like, well, there's that or there's the public toilet at the top of town right. in a park. Yeah. And I went and did that and never again. <laughs> yeah. Like you always roll the dice, don't you? You always roll the dice. And I'm not like you. I think I'm a bit more resilient yeah. to to gross shit. Like I, I can yeah. – I've got a kid. I've had a dog. Like I'm used to some uh-huh. gross situations. But whatever had happened in that, in that cubicle before I got there, <laughs> oh, yeah. like they needed an old priest and a young priest to get things right yeah. because it was pure evil. I honestly, like it is one of those things that I am so fascinated by because of my aversion to – like again, I don't even like like particularly talking about this sort of stuff. But like, the, I got very used to like I keep everything in the house pretty clean, you know. Particularly, You're like a I'm cat. here by myself. Yeah, I just like things to be clean, Aloof like and clean. Can- <laughs> With the Will <laughs> Anderson story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but when you get my affection, it feels yeah, worth totally. it. You know, it feels good. We've got 13 years of a podcast out of this cat. <laughs> um, I don't mind things being jumbled, but I like them to be clean. And so I've got an old broken toilet. Like, and when I say broken, I mean that the one of, like, you know, there might be people who, you know, they're thrill seekers in the fact that. They, you know, jump out of a plane or they want to climb Mount Everest or they want to challenge themselves. But I like to microdose thrill <laughs> in the same way as people might microdose magic yeah. mushrooms. I like to microdose thrill. And the way that I do that is I have a toilet and I've had this toilet now for this the it's been like toilet? this for it's yeah, always been broken. Toilet. As long as I've known you, that toilet has never worked. Every time I visit your house, there's always a word of warning or some advice or some <laughs> yeah. weird technique that I've got to like half hold the button, but then make sure you lift it back up at the end. The bath, the, the whole bathroom needs to be replaced, which has meant that none of it's been replaced. Okay. The bath is falling through the floor. The toilet has been broken for fifteen years, well, that's and good because though. I mean, you're getting a deeper bathtub, right? Everyone wants a deep bathtub. <laughs> yeah. This one's six well, feet under the floorboards. Yeah, uh, you know what you re- would really like to remember that show where they used to improvise and then they would tilt the stage, like oh, so yeah, the improvisers exactly, yeah. would like slide off. Like that's what my bath is like right. because I used to be able to balance my toothbrush. It has like a, it's an electronic toothbrush, so it has like a heavy base. I used to like be able to balance it, like you know, toothbrush up on the base on the side of the bath, and now. 
That is impossible. <laughs> it is on so much of an angle that it just immediately topples over. So whole bathroom needs to be replaced. Um, and so I've been hanging on to these. It's no point replacing the toilet or the bath or whatever because the whole thing needs to be replaced. So instead, what you do is much like our approach to COVID, you learn to live with it. And I have been – so for people who – like the main problem is that they're, the toilet seats – um, are loose and cannot be refastened. So anytime you would sit down on the toilet, if you move slightly, the whole thing just like slides from side to side. And like, so every day I know I live in a world where one day my testicles are going to get oh, caught in that and rip mate, off. That, yeah. like, I get you now. This is the <laughs> micro-dosing thrills, right? Every day. Because if you just make one wrong move sitting down on that toilet, like it's all over. And it's in the bathroom. It's already a slippery situation, right? I believe that was a deleted scene in the original mm. Point Break when Bodhi and his team of daredevils uh, took Johnny Utah on a, a whirlwind adventure. <laughs> the last thing they said is now try and take a mm. shit on this toilet where the seat moves around. Your balls uh, well, may get actually, caught. Uh, people haven't seen the deleted scene, but it's actually Peter Phelps coming out of the bathroom <laughs> and he says, I wouldn't sit on that toilet. It's death on a stick in there. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, death on a dick is what I face on a daily basis. So it is just my <laughs> – my, every time I sit on that toilet, <laughs> I'm always like, today could be the day. <laughs> Death on a dick. I miss that <laughs> Inspector Perot uh, mystery. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Uh, anyway. So uh, juice uh, wrapped up. Okay. okay. Yes. Yeah. So then the other meanings is uh, mm. if you're in the States, again, a 22-ounce beer, yeah. usually in a glass bottle, is also known as a juice. So you could say, I'm going to chug a juice tonight. Oh, you'd want to – Make sure everyone was clear on the distinction between the two meanings of juice I mean, before you announce to your friends, I'm going to go chug on a juice. Too close. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to lie back on my couch and open my mouth and just let that juice slide right down my gob. You're still talking about the beer, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, the beer. Uh, I've found out some information about Man From Man. Okay. So Manfred Mann were an English rock band formed in London and active between 1962 and 1969. Nice. Now, the group were named after not their lead singer, as I speculated, but their keyboardist, Manfred Mann. It is a good name. Who later led the successful 1970s group Manfred Mann's Earth Band. Ah. So the band had two different lead vocalists, Paul Jones and Mike D'Arbo. So uh, let me see. They're regular in the UK charts with three of their most successful singles uh, uh, were Mighty Quinn, never heard of it, Uh, Pretty Flamingo, you would have heard of that song. Really? Yeah, a very sort of like British set, like. um, Sing it. uh, Oh, (laughs) no. (laughs) I don't think that would help. (laughs) Um, Do a Diddy, you would know. Diddy Dum, Diddy Dum. Is that them? Do Do, a Diddy Diddy Dum. There she was just walking down the street. They sound so American for an, an English band. Yeah, okay. So I found the meaning of juice and what it refers to in Blinded by the Light. A juice is also a <laughs> Sorry. what? Yeah, it's a 1932 no, no, Ford coupe, usually made into a hot rod. Did you see that wicked souped-up Ford with the suicide doors? 
That was oh, all the okay, juice. Yes, right. Yeah, okay, see. that makes a lot of sense. Yep. All right. Well, I found some more information about Manfred Mann. Uh, he started in a band, and this is before when this was a popular phrase, so this is why I just find this so amusing, uh, with a guy called Mike Hug, and they were called the Man Hug Blues Brothers. <laughs> That is amazing. Really? <laughs> yep. Wow. Two references there that would come into play much later in the 80s and then around the mid-2000s. They were ahead of their like time. 1962. They've called themselves the Man Hug Blues Brothers. Wow, that's amazing. It's like, yeah, in 1956, oh, there was a folk band called Pearl Jam Nirvana. Yep, they just think that Pearl Jam's the best thing. It's just like heaven. <laughs> Okay, so they changed their name from the Manhug Blues Brothers and now they change it to Manfred Mann and the what. So I'm going to get you to have a little guess. So this isn't one of the ones we've mentioned so far. This is another name on the way. So they're called Manfred Mann and the – Okay, is it – is it – I'm going to need a clue. So is it a collective? Well – the obvious place I would go to yeah. is if you asked me this question, I'd be like Manfred Mann and the men. Oh, yeah. Right? That would be my guess. That gives you a clue of the direction, but it's gone weirder than oh, that. Manfred Mann and the women? <laughs> weirder than Manfred that. Manfred Mann and what is a woman? <laughs> it was like the first anti-trans <laughs> <Yeah>. band. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, Manfred Mann. Manfred- Man and the Mermaids? You're never going to get okay. it, by the way. I just wanted oh. to hear some guess. Manfred Man and the Manfreds. <laughs> Fuck, I tell you what. Could write a hit song, could not name a band. <laughs> this could not Man. name a band. Like, Manfred Man and the Manfreds. <laughs> this makes like, me feel a lot better about naming our podcast 30-odd foot apart. Right? <laughs> like, I feel like we did a pretty good job. We didn't name it Will Anderson and Charlie Clawson and the Charlie Andersons. <laughs> Oh, my God. Okay, so Do I Diddy is actually a cover band. A cover uh, song, okay, sorry. Okay, so that's why I really sound so American. Yes, okay. So uh, with the success of uh, Do I Diddy, um, they started – so they covered Shalala by the Shirelles, uh, which was a big hit for them. When did they – oh, okay, beautiful. Um, their album, their first album – uh, was called – it had Manfred Mann in the title. Okay. Oh, okay. How can I even give you a clue for this? Um, if the A-team yeah. got rid of like B.A. Baracus yeah. and Hannibal and uh, Mad Dog Murdoch. So there's a face there. Yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good. And just Good there clues. was five of that character instead. Manfred what, Mann what, and the five faces? <laughs> The five faces of man from there. Okay. I was going to say the five faces of death. It was a prog rock snuff movie crossover. All right. Now, hang on. I need to um, – uh, so, okay. So a lot of their songs – yeah, okay. So it turns out they did a lot of covers. So they were a band that like ended up basically specialised in covers. Okay. doesn't really have a lot about Blinded by the Light though, I will say. But anytime anyway. someone, it's a bit like when we had that listener write in and say every time they hear stop, they shout out, collaborate and listen. If anyone yeah. ever talks about being blinded by the light, you just cannot help but roll into the next lyric of that song. The absolutely incorrect lyric that we wrapped up like a juice. <laughs> yeah, wrapped up like a juice. Up. 
Because I imagine a piece of poo with some tissue paper and quickly (laughs) got it wrong. Um, Well, I I, I teased before about a little um, uh, anecdote I wanted to bring to the table. And this is always good because I know you love um, being the arbitrator of my life and uh, offering advice. And and this is something that I feel like maybe a lot of listeners will have opinions on because I've surveyed a few people and got some different answers. Uh, So uh, we had some friends stay over the weekend. You know, big family, uh, you know, so we had a lot of sheets to wash the next day. So rather than do it in our laundry, I was like, I'll just go into town to the communal laundromat, the public laundromat, and get all the sheets done in, in one big hit. So I had this, you know, when you sort of schedule your day and it's like, oh, perfect, I can drop the sheets off, they can do a wash, I'll go up to the post office, they'll take 20 minutes, I'll come back, they'll be done, then I can chuck them in the dryer, that's 15 minutes, and I can go up and do it. And so you've got your day all scheduled and it sort of all relies on, you know, no more than sort of like a five-minute, ten-minute delay on any one thing, right? So I get the sheets into the wash, all good, um, and I go off and I do my 20-minute errands while they wash, and then I come back and all the dryers are taken. They're all moving. They're all spinning, except for one. It's just stopped, and I'm like, ah, oh, okay. And I'm like, wow, I really had plans, like, you know. So I'll give it 10 minutes. I can find – I'll go get a coffee or something like that. I'll give it 10 yeah. minutes. So I went off, 10 minutes came back. The other three drives are still going. That one stationary one, you know, still hasn't moved, but no one's come back to collect their laundry mm. either. And I'm on a bit of a schedule now. Mm. I'm like, i got to go drop a deuce. <laughs> I'm like, I mean, that was, <laughs> that was coming. No, not straight. It wasn't, the, it wasn't the most important thing at this stage. So yeah. I, I, I sort of waited for like 10, maybe another two or three minutes there, and still no one turned up. And so I was like, okay. Don't feel great about this, but I'm just going to get one of the communal baskets and I'm going to empty this person's laundry. I try not to look at anything. I'm just going to pull it out. Like, won't fold it either. I just thought, well, I'll just drag it out and put it in one of the bins, one of the laundry bins, and then I'll put my stuff in. So I did that and got in the car, went and did my dirty business, and then went off to the gym for like an hour. And then when I came back, that laundry was still in the basket. So someone had not come back within an hour to collect that laundry. My sheets were done. And so I grabbed them, put them in my basket and left. Got about almost all the way home when I realized, oh my God, I've actually taken the wrong basket. I've taken one of the laundry's communal baskets and left my one there. So I'll just go back and swap them over. And I, when I went back, there was a mum in there with her young child who was going through the laundry that I put in the basket. Mm-hmm. And I said to her, oh, hey, sorry about that. Like I, I waited around, but um, you didn't come back and I just need to get these sheets. So I hope that's okay. It's fair to say my reception was very frosty. <laughs> she was not pleased, like kind of just cold-shouldered me as if I had done something really egregious. And so I was like, oh, fuck, I don't know. Like I, I, I can't remember the last time I used a communal laundry in that way. What is – there's no rules written on the wall about like time limit and stuff, but I would have thought – considering there are timers on the washing machines and the laundry, when you put your load in, you know you, what your window is and you can't – it's like a parking spot. You can't just like stay there for longer than the allotted period, right? Uh, so I come home and I say to Jam, I tell her the story and she's like, absolutely. Like that woman, as soon as the dry is done, like you just have to pull it out. What's your take on this situation? What would you have done knowing that you had a, a schedule to keep? What what's my take or what, what, what would, would you I have done? done? They're two separate questions. Okay. Well, let's, so let's, what would my you- take is my take is this very simply. 
there's a window of time that's acceptable. Like I think of like, you know, 15, 20 minutes, you know, the appropriate just you've popped to get your coffee. It took a little bit longer. They've gone to do the groceries. It took a little bit longer. You know, you don't sit there and the minute it's done, you just rip their stuff out and put it in a basket. I think, I think it's nice for you to give someone some wiggle room, but this has been how long? Like, I mean, this has been, I mean, 10 or 15 minutes maximum would be my, like, I, I think that's perfectly appropriate. Right. Right. So, and technically, probably you don't need to give any. If the person's not there, this is a communal space. You've all entered into this agreement. We all enter into it because if you're not there, anyone can walk in at any stage and take your laundry. Like, you know, if you're down getting a coffee or if you're at the gym or whatever, like you've entered into this agreement that anyone with a $2 big, like, you know, one of those bags you get at like the $2 shop, you could come in with one of those, pretend it's your laundry, walk out with everybody's clothes. Marla Singer in Fight Club, that scene in Fight Club where she just walks in the laundry and steals a bunch of clothes. It's literally one of those scenarios that we know what we're entering into. It, it, it's a social contract. It relies on us each sort of being there for each other in a way. So the fact that they she was away for so long and you took her stuff out, no, 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 you were fine. She was the one who was being inappropriate because she was holding up something she did not need for someone who needed it. She was stealing from the business because, the you know, you couldn't spend your money there. Like it was like – so she was stealing from the business during that time. That's right. And she was also – I should have yelled that as I was taking the basket. Well, back. if she doesn't want to support local small businesses, the one that she relies on mm. – and she relies clearly for it to be there, but she can't take advantage of that. They need to. They only have a certain amount of machines, and they need those machines to be working as often as possible to to be able to pay for the upkeep of those machines and keep those machines like clean and secure and security cameras and these sort of things. So, no, she's clearly stealing from the business during that time. Um, so, uh, what I would say is. We generally have a politeness that if, if, if you don't need the machine, you don't move people's stuff, right? It's not like the minute it's out, take it out. You put it in a basket. I think that is totally appropriate. There's nothing wrong with any of your behavior. Here's what I would have done that you did not do. When I came back and my stuff was done and her stuff was like they weren't uh, back yet, I just would have put it back in the machine. Smart. Didn't think of that. That's what I would have done, yeah. and then none of this arises, right? You you got away with it. Yeah. It was the perfect crime. I know. She would have been what? none of the wiser to the fact that you had actually got your sheets dried during that time. The anxiety, because I felt like <sighs> when I got my sheets, yeah. I felt like I got away with the perfect crime because she's just oh. going to come back and find her, and she'd have no idea there's no cameras in there. Yeah. There's no one else. No one saw me, unsighted. But then when I got into my drive, I'm like, oh, God damn it, that's the wrong basket. I knew. I knew it was a risk to go back, but I just had to do it. Well, but did you have her basket? No, you didn't have her no, basket. No, that was just one of the communal baskets. No. So again, like you've volunteered the information that you put her stuff in the basket, which you did not need to do either. No. You could have absolutely in that moment said nothing, firstly. Yeah. You could have just like said nothing and like, you know, ignored the situation. Like she might have even suspected it was you, but she wouldn't have any information to like be sure <laughs> of that. She called the police. Right? Um, <laughs> if you – like if she said, "Hey, did you um, put the you know my laundry in here?" Like if she actually asked you, you could have in that situation been honest, or you could have in that situation gone, "Oh, that's really funny. I was actually just in here before, and somebody had put my laundry in for me. That's actually why I've got the wrong basket. They put it in the wrong basket, and I just picked it up." So, I mean, again, I just think you could have what I would have done versus 
you weren't wrong in what you did. I just think you could have avoided this situation. Altogether. By, yeah, altogether. I mean, there is a possibility because she gave me such <sighs> a cold shoulder that she didn't speak English. I mean, she might have been like German or yeah. something like that because she just seemed to not even acknowledge what I had said, which was like, oh, I'm sorry, I just mm. had to take that stuff out. But it got me thinking and I – I imagine what's actually going to happen is you're going to run into this woman in another situation and you're going to say, hey, were you the woman from the laundry that day? And she'd be like, no, that's my, my sister. sister. <laughs> she looks a lot like me. I've never been to this area before. It got me thinking uh, about what the etiquette is. So I went to uh-huh. um, uh, Reddit, which is obviously, you know, uh, we get you get all your best opinions. And I found this. This yeah. is the most similar situation I could find to mine. Okay, cool. So this is someone who wrote um, – to those using shared laundry rooms, is it acceptable to remove someone's clothes if they've been sitting in the machine for hours? I used to just take out the clothes and set them up on top of the washer to dry if they've been sitting in there for over an hour. But recently, someone left a super angry note in the laundry room threatening anyone who touched their clothes. Am I completely out of line on this? Okay. Yeah, so okay, that didn't good. happen to me. That's pretty good. No. But that's that's pretty similar. Okay. So this is yeah. this is I've just collated some of my – And by the way, this is communal – laundry room at an apartment block which i have been in that situation and i think in that situation it's absolutely appropriate that you're allowed to take it out like it's a communal it's for everybody again the person who's left their clothes in there is the person taking advantage not the person who's trying to get their clothes into there if you stopped someone's cycle mid-cycle and took their clothes out and put yours in sure you've overstepped but if the cycle's done it's on the person who's left their clothes there yeah i mean those Fucking psychotic neighbours I had back when I lived mm. in Sydney, the ones with the the ones who, you know, yes. were just monsters. <laughs> we had a communal laundry upstairs and why was it they – oh, that's right. They, so they we had a washing machine, they had a washing machine. Um, but occasionally we'd have people come stay and I'd forget mm. to tell them which washing sh- machine was which and they yes. would fucking flip, even if they didn't need it, just the mere thought – that someone had put clothes in their washing machine. I don't know, wear and tear or something like that. But I tell you what, we didn't have a dryer there. Me and the other the other uh, apartment, we, spr- we sprung for a dryer. And these motherfuckers used our dryer all the time. We yeah. couldn't use their dishwasher. And no. I would catch them using our fucking dryer all the time. I mean, that's a separate issue, I understand. But just <laughs> you're talking bar. about it. The anger Side is still. Your honor. <laughs> well, I actually, Osher texted me because Osher lives not far from where our yeah. apartment used to be and he – Texted me a photo showing that their business had gone out, had closed down, and I was so fucking happy about it. Like it was just few things, you know, a few good things came out of COVID, but the fact that yeah, those motherfuckers lost their business, yeah, oh, God. Like I told Gem about it, and she's like, yeah. "Good," and I said, "You know, should we be a bit more sympathetic to a woman who clearly had mental issues and was and struggling?" And Gem was like, "No, I fucking hate her. I hope she's, I hope she, I hope she has a miserable death." And I'm like, "Okay." Yeah. It's good to it's easy to be in principle kind, but when you've had to live alongside that situation, it's it's like it's like I'm happy to be anti-war and a pacifist, but I'm not gonna, you know, put myself in the shoes of a soldier and what their experience would be. You know, you lived on the front lines. Yeah. 
All right, so this is the first response. I thought this was just an interesting collection of responses because people speculate on what the time limit should be, what the actual etiquette in a laundry is. Okay, so the fairy chef says, don't worry about it, you're in the clear. Our laundry machines all tell you exactly how long they'll be done. So I give a grace period of about 10 minutes before Mm -hmm. I remove someone else's clothes so I can use the machine, which is kind of what you speculated, right? You said 10 to 15 minutes. Um, A ghosted account says an hour – Sounds like you don't give a shit about it. 15 minutes is the longest anyone should wait before moving your stuff for you. So, you know, that's again in your ballpark. Uh, this person who chose to remain anonymous said, my God, if you touched my panties, I would be so pissed. Seriously. Well, don't leave your panties in a public place. You can't – like I don't want a victim blame here, but <laughs> if you're leaving your panties unattended in public, you can't then say – like it's like that's like leaving a toddler in public and saying nobody touched my baby. Like you know what I mean? Like it doesn't make any sense. It's like <laughs> it's your responsibility to have an eye on them at most times. Well, it was funny when I was removing. Mm. I, I tried to be as sort of discreet and respectful as possible, so I, mm. I kind of was turning my head, so it wasn't look like if anyone walked in, it didn't look like I was targeting underpants. You know that I was that I was moving underpants first and ignoring towels and everything else. It was just I was just randomly scooping stuff into this basket without favor or fortune. But also come on. Like it's clean underwear. Like the association with underwear is surely either when it's on the person, it's like it's sexual <laughs> when it's on the person, or I can understand like it's not my thing, but like you, you, I know that there is a market for like pre-worn or pre – like yeah, the idea that it's been on a person is what makes it sexy. Mm. But it's just come out of a washing machine. Like yeah. is it is like underwear sexy at Target? Should they have like a sealed section at Target for people to walk through and buy underwear? It's not inherently – sexy anyway is it like it's Some just been underwear i think is aesthetically sexy that even without seeing it on a body i mean not i'm not a i don't that's not my fetish either but i can appreciate the aesthetics of sexy underwear and what it kind of evokes yeah but i mean in a but these was i mean i imagine this was i did not see anything lace or satiny it, it was very much your monday to friday undies well, I, I'm just saying, you know, you shouldn't be leaving anything in a public place <laughs> that you're not willing for somebody to go through, right? Like, that's what I would say. Some weirdo. Um, uh, another anonymous said, no, fuck them. <laughs> they, shouldn't, <laughs> oh, they, they shouldn't be waited on, which I think is like, <laughs> I mean, you get some real insights into like how people view the world. Like, you know, the, the, the world's full of puss, pussies, dicks, and assholes. That's a very, that response. Um, Hello, McFly. Says this is my three rules in college. If the laundry left in the dryer is still warm, then I will take them out and fold them. If the laundry left in there is no longer warm, then I'll take them out and pile there somewhere else because they're going to be wrinkly anyway. If the laundry is left in a washing machine, I'll put it in a dryer, but select a delicate setting. What do you think about that? That seems like a lot of work. I mean, the I folding like the-, the clothes because that was a mm. consideration of mine because it was still warm, and I'm and I know with Jem like. When we dry and close here, she's always like, hey, let's just fold these as soon as they come out of the dryer. We'll get rid of, you know, any creases or whatever. Stop getting all crunched up. But is that my job? Uh, I think that's more intrusive, personally. Yeah. Like, I would much prefer – now I'm putting it myself in – It would be weird in- to walk in and see a complete stranger <laughs> folding up your Van folding. Halen T-shirt. Yeah, I'm not into it. Yeah. Like, 
No, no, no. I think it's enough that you've taken it out. As long as you haven't like chucked it in a corner or somewhere it gets dirty again or like, you know, and you'd put it in a basket. Yeah. So, so that, though, I must admit. Yes, but again, that's not on you. And I actually that think it's That would go on creep- for an hour. I think it's worse. It's going to get I came back anyway. and it was folded by yeah. you, that means you've actually taken some time. Like you've had, like, That's the equivalent of kissing on the lips. Yeah, it's Isn't too it? much, right? Like it's a bit like, too intimate. Like it's okay for you to just take a whole- What if like, you walked in and I was kissing your laundry? <laughs> so like, do you know what I mean though? It does feel like- Yeah, it does. If you just take an armful of laundry- like there might be a towel in there. You don't even know what else is in there, right? Like you just jam it all together. You put it in the basket. You, you haven't looked at the details. Whereas if you folded it, then you've really gone through. And we're human beings. There's absolutely no way you haven't judged something <laughs> along the way, right? Yeah. Like- uh, okay. Uh, Marvelously says mm. one hour is totally unacceptable. And it's perfectly within traditional laundromat guidelines mm. to move it out. Oh, yeah. You yeah. could go the passive aggressive note threatening to the inconsiderate, selfish asshole who left the clothes in a shed appliance for an hour, but I'd just ignore it <laughs> and keep mm. on keeping on. I don't think yeah. marvelously would just ignore it, judging by how well thought out that was. What do you think about a passive aggressive note? Are you a passive aggressive note writer? No. Nah, Never written one? Start- <sighs> Um, Parking, someone's parked over your driveway or anything like that? No, I don't think I ever have. And look, you know, there there may be one exception to that over my entire lifetime that I can't immediately call to mind. But the reason I say I never think I have is I know that in those situations where that thing would – my thing is always like this could be done now. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I can move on from this. I don't mm. need to engage unless they engage. Yeah. I don't want to, like, the passive-aggressive note, that just to me is an invitation to trouble because then there's going to be a response and then it's a thing. Like, I, I always think that those things are never worth the trouble. And I've been the receiver oh, of some I love getting one. I love getting one under my years. windscreen. Hey, dickhead, you know, yeah. you're parked in a non-stable, whatever it is. I love getting one because I'm like, I love the idea for the exact reason you described, that someone, like I've, yeah. I'm in the head, man. <laughs> like living rent free. <laughs> they've had to write a note, but I'm sure I've, I've yeah. scribbled. Like you know, I'm a guy who yells at kids for stealing my bin. Mm. So chances are, I've definitely left a passive aggressive note. In fact, I dig for them. I remember my na- the, the, when I stole the neighbor's dog. Except that was text mm. messages. Yeah. <laughs> so I can't. I can't say that I wouldn't do that. Um, Paps Blue Reddit says, this literally happened to my friend today. After putting someone else's clothes on top of the dryer and drying his laundry, that's uh, in brackets SIC, he came back to the laundry room to find that someone had put his clothes in the sink and turned it on. (laughs) So ridiculous. Yeah, okay. Well, that's – yeah, that's different. (laughs) I mean – that's next level kind of pettiness as well. <laughs> I also think too that there is a, I mean, I'm assuming these are college students, right? And yes. so there is, you don't have much to worry about as, a, as like a student, apart from mm. like studies and girls or boys or whatever you're into. That's all it really is. So these little dramas tend to be like much more heightened. Like this sense of, the sense of injustice about, someone moving your laundry might be a bit more heightened, especially if you're coming down off pills. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And But also why I think that the folding thing works okay in a college dorm setting. 
Like, I think there would be an element of like, you've just moved out of home. Your mum probably used to do it. If you popped down the laundry and you found that your clothes were all folded, you'd be like, awesome. Verily, oh. <laughs> <laughs> there's a magic laundry here. <laughs> all right, this last one. <clears throat> uh, I'm going to do a bit of a voice. Okay, and you'll understand <clears throat> why from the very first. European? General no, no. European voice? No, it's more think like, think more like your grizzled vet. You okay. know, someone who's seen some shit. Okay. So I was deployed in Iraq a few years ago, and doing laundry was a real pain in the ass sometimes. There was one laundry room in our compound with probably 30 to 40 washers and dryers. But even then, it was hard to find an empty dryer sometime. After going through them all, the ones that weren't on all had clothes in them. I picked one at random and piled the clothes on top. They were completely dry and left for about an hour or so. When I get back, I open the dryer. And to my absolute shock, my clothes were gone. Inside was a piece of paper, folded, folded in half, and typed on it. It said, next time, asshole, fold the laundry. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't end there. Just like this poor guy serving his country. He just wants to fucking dry his clothes. They're completely dry. He puts them on top of another machine. There's a hand, like a type note, not a handwritten note. Like oh. someone has printed this off. <laughs> I was utterly confused at first and then infuriated that my clothes were missing. After checking all of the machines, my stuff was nowhere to be found. I left pissed for a little bit and went back after a while to find my clothes in one of the washers. Turns out there were big enough dicks to put my clothes in a washer and start it again. I originally didn't check the ones that were currently running and wasted my time all because I didn't fold their shit. <laughs> I still don't understand how someone could get so mad from a stranger not folding their clothes that they would hide my clothes and leave an angry note that they typed out and printed. God damn it. Yeah, I can't believe that somebody in the middle of a war would like me have some over-the-top weirdly stressed response to some situation. That is... Crazy though, like the level of the level of pettiness you have to have to do that. I mean, I kind of admire it in a little way, but that's what I mean about the small victories, right? Maybe in the heat of a war zone, it's like I just need something low stakes to focus on. This is I need a war I can win. Yeah, I think that you're right. Like it, it's a power thing, right? It's a little bit of control and you feel like, you know, I can imagine you overreact more as well, right? You constantly feel like you're under attack. So when you're constantly under attack, that's how you're trained to like see if anything is an attack. You perceive probably everything as an attack. Does it remind you a little bit, I don't know what your high school was like, but going to an all boys high school, there is a level of, um, I don't know what it is, but like guys like to be very practical and play by the rules and there's like set way of doing things. And if you deviate outside of that, like you're just expected to know the rules. And if you don't know the rules, you're an asshole. What, what sort of rules? What do you mean? Uh, just like- I, I, it, it kind of relates to, I don't know, I, I, for some reason I feel like it's- like, you know, a sport kind of thing. Like there's, there's team rules, there's team things you have to follow. And if you don't automatically know the protocol for something, like 
the onus is on you rather than people telling you what the rules are. Like when we read that earlier post about, you know, general laundromat guidelines, I wouldn't know what the fucking general guidelines are. But there's some people who are like, it's fucking obvious, dude. The guidelines for laundry are this. Like this person who feels so passionate about the fact that you do not touch another man's laundry. Three things you don't touch, Will. <laughs> yeah, man's wallet. Man's wife, wallet, wife, and laundry. laundry. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like to feel that you've got to have – and that was my experience as a teenager was like a lot of these guys that my mates that I hang out with, they were very unforgiving of kind of weakness or – a lack of, you know, certainty or confidence or whatever. And so if you did okay. something wrong, you'd be humiliated for it. How the fuck could you not know how to do that? Or, you know, you don't yeah, know how to but do that's just like in-group and out-group behavior, isn't it? It's like there's just these rules of we, who, the people who know the rules, like it gives us some sort of in-group thing. So we punish people who don't know the rules or don't obey the rules. But it's that level of, I think, yeah, this is, I guess, I think they do a little bit in school now teach, you know, life skills as part of the education program. But you're absolutely right. There, there should be a course. And it would be one of the more interesting courses to go to when you're a kid, yeah. which is just this life stuff. Like, what are the rules <laughs> yeah. of the laundromat? Like, at yeah. some stage, you're probably going to live somewhere that has a communal laundromat. What is the etiquette? Like, at some stage, you're going to catch a plane and you're going to line up and like, how do you actually do all this in a way that like, because it does make you feel like an idiot when you don't know what those 100%. rules of society are. And often your perspective has so much about obviously the way you were raised. Like this is yeah. the thing they go, well, your parents tell you. But we were having a conversation in a work thing the other day about mattresses and one of the companies offers, you know, you can sleep on it for so long and, or, and return it. And they were talking about what they do with those mattresses. And a lot of people in the office were like, oh, gr oh gross. I'd never sleep on a mattress that, you know, someone else has slept on. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, have you never stayed in a hotel, hotel room? Yeah. Like I sleep in like the, most of the beds I sleep in for a hundred days of the year uh, have been slept in by hundreds of strangers. But I normalize that. Because that's my life experience. Whereas if that's not your life experience, yeah, yeah you have a completely different perspective on but it. But do you accuse your coworkers being fucking idiots because they don't like the thing that you're very used to and experienced with? I mean- Because that's how I people are on the road, right? Like yes. that's what triggers road rage. It's like, yeah. how did that fucking idiot not know where they're going? Why mm. did that fucking idiot pull into that lane without indicating? Like we all suddenly become experts and anyone who violates that is a moron. And I think you can sort of extend that to other things. And I was at the airport. Well, I think we think we're experts at driving when none of us are. Yeah, of we're course we're not. We're all bad at it. <laughs> yeah. Like everyone's bad at driving. Like I love when someone says, I'm a good driver. You're not because even good drivers aren't that good drivers because driving is really hard and we're never driving in perfect conditions and there's other people who are various levels of drivers on the road at the same time. No one is a good driver all the time and yet we set society's level of expectation. At, like I reckon when we pass our driver's test they should say now you're like a six out of ten yeah and you're probably only ever going to be a seven and a half and we've decided that's okay but don't get in your head you're an eight out of ten driver like I know. judge you know I, oh yeah 100 and i'm the worst at that like i'm often mm. like telling Gemma that i'm the best driver in the world and then last week <laughs> we're driving home from dinner and i said can i just put the footy yeah. on my phone just and she's mm. like but you don't watch it you're going to be driving i said no no i'm just going to listen to it while i'm driving mm. And she was like, okay. And she put it on and sure enough, like I said like that, I look up like, oh, okay, we're heading into a truck. All right. And she's like, grabbed the phone, just like threw it in the back seat. You are not 
putting the fire, the footy on <laughs> while you're driving. It's like, yeah, it's right. a good call. Good call. Is that it? That's our rant. All right, that's the show for this one. <laughs> <laughs> I assume we'd have letters or something. Don't no, we, we do. We got don't a we t- normally do mail? ton of letters. Well, we've still got people. We've got mics rolling in left, right, and center. Mm. I will whip through these. Uh, this is from Mike Bowker, who says, I'm a Mike. I'm not a doctor or a podcast producer, but I'm definitely a Mike. That counts. We've got uh, this from Michael Hughes, who says, I'm a Mike. I'm a Mike, and I'll put my hand up if you need anyone experimented on with LSD. <laughs> I, I mean, is that something that we floated? We must have floated that. Yeah, Too random a, a, a volunteering <laughs> thing. Uh, this uh, Michael is Michael Hill. He's a juror, right? Michael Hill jurors. Yeah. Want to sponsor the show? <laughs> I'm Mike. I'm a longtime listener, Mike Hill, and I'm registering my mic. Thanks, Mike. Can we have a free, cheap gold necklace? <laughs> this is from uh, Michael Weberus. I'm a Mike. I never thought my first correspondence would be just about my name, but I'm one of the many Mikes and I cannot wait for my offer of employment. And please do more hamofops. Love from Mike. We'll go have some more. We could have some more hamofops coming, can't we, at some point? We've got a lot yes, of shit I'm, going on at the we've moment. We've got a though. lot going on. I'm currently doing my cricket uh, podcast, which is taking all my faux fop time. Uh, yeah, no, which is sorry, essentially – with friend time. That's essentially what – Tofop is though, right? A tofop with friends. It's like little projects and stuff like that. So yes. people aren't so missing it, out. No. At some stage though, yes, Hammer will be back, of course. Uh, this is from a Michael uh, Surplice who says, I'm a Mike. Uh, hey, team, I'm a Mike or a Michael, Mick and Nicky, depending on which group of friends oh, I'm with. Okay. Oh, wow. He's a bit of a, what did you like call it. that? Not like um, Omni, Omni Mike. <laughs> 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 I think Roadcaster make those Omni mics. <laughs> the Omni mics, yeah. 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 Uh, since I'm here, well done consolidating the shows. Thank you, Mike. I'm glad someone appreciates it. I know the overlords at listener. Okay. <laughs> I mean, listener, if you are listening, I'm just yeah. reading the letter. I'm not yeah, saying yeah. that you're our overlords. Uh-huh. Um, I know the overlords at listener are against it, but I would love some eps with you guys in the same room. You're great via Zoom, but I miss the energy of the older eps. Anyway, add me to your bench, Mike. Um, yeah, look, we would love to do that as well. Yes. I think it would have to be an instance in which we're both in Melbourne or Sydney where the listener studios are. Right, because you've been doing some. Have you been doing some in studio stuff, or has it still been down the line? I've been mostly doing it down the line okay. still. But yes, you can do it in studio, and they're building new studios in Sydney, and the Melbourne ones are done. So yeah, there, there's I, an opportunity I, no, at some point. We'd we love to do, do it in the same room, and I agree. Like I do think there is an extra energy from being in the room in any like podcast situation. But um, most of the time, Charlie and I are just not in the same place yeah mentally (laughs) (laughs) so without technology there would be no podcast anymore unfortunately but obviously we are hoping to at least be doing some things in the same room uh at at some stage soon later in the year Uh, this is from patria and uh this is shocking she says um i heard that will is no longer on the socials is that true Uh, look i don't like to talk about it charlie but uh, that is true. I am actually off social media now. Oh, you should make that the basis of your whole personality. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Patrice, it's through Tofop. I wanted to say thank you to Will for recommending Mrs. Davis. I've just finished yeah. Ep 3 and having my mind blown. It's so good. 
I'm pretty sure one of you said you'd seen Severance, but it's also good to see another show that is original that keeps you guessing, and I love its twists and turns. I'm also looking forward to The Bear coming out series too. It's another brilliant show. Anyway, I'm not sure if Did you watch the final episode? Did you watch The Bear, by the way? No, I haven't haven't seen either of The Bears. All right. Why? No, well, at some stage in the future, um, there's a a thing that really bothered me about the final episode of The Bear that doesn't seem to have bothered anybody else who has watched that series. So at some stage when you watch it, we'll have a chat about it. But it's not that big a deal. It's It's just one of those things where, you know, when you watch something and you have like a really strong... Like go, yeah, but I think this was like against everything that the this show has been about, about for yeah. the entire series, and nobody else seems to think it's a problem. And you're like, well, oh, that, yeah, that, that's I'm my equivalent right. of Dirty Dancing, the the final song being "Time of Your Life," which is clearly oh, yeah. not from the '60s. It's like, there's not, <laughs> but everyone seems to be okay with it. I'm like, I'm the only guy. Who's like, that makes no sense, and it takes me out of the movie. But everyone's like, fuck up, you're just you're an idiot. I'm like, all right, I guess so. Can leave an angry note in my in my dryer. <laughs> Uh, you know what I did watch on mm. the weekend, which was a lot of fun, was the Wham! documentary on Netflix. And if anything, like it sent me on a five-esque um, rabbit hole down the career of George Michael. Like, goddamn, what a talented individual that was. And when you watch this documentary, I because my sister was a massive Wham! fan, and I do remember the phenomenon of Wham! But my memory, they were just kind of like like a British pop band that had done okay in the UK. But they were – huge like i didn't realize they broke the states so heavily and you know like this global sensation do you remember wham yeah so i'm a little bit older than you enough older than you that the the influence was this was absolutely 100 percent in my hitting zone so i there was actually joy fm which is the lgbtqia station that's it oh you know what anyway joy queer station the Queer Station Joy FM um, did a, their own documentary about Paul, about um, George Michael and Wham around this documentary. You know, oh, right. like talking to can people I get about that, it. Can and, I get the podcast? Is that that'd be a podcast? Well, that's right? what I was going to say. I, I assume it's available somewhere, but I was interviewed for for that because. Oh, wow. This year in my show, I have a big routine about George Michael in my stand-up oh, really? show this year. Yeah. Oh, maybe I should yeah. do your show. Because <laughs> I really just love revisiting all this, like, because yeah. I because I had sort of forgotten, like I was saying, trying to explain to Jem when we were watching it that, like, Wham! and George Michael was such a big part of my childhood because my sister was such a huge fan. And then I remember sort of listen without prejudice was one of my favorite cds like you know when i was a teenager and stuff but it wasn't rock and roll so i hid it from a lot of my friends even though i thought it was a great album and then to kind of like just read about all the shit that he went through like i had no idea that it took him till 1998 to come out and the way he came out was the most humiliating way possible with that incident in the in the public toilets so my, the, for people who have seen my show they will know this and i won't give away the bit but like yeah, that's don't. so that's the story i tell so okay. i tell the, the story about the song outside well, i perfectly set it up with that even yeah. more, didn't I? so i tell the story of the song outside because like the story of that song because that was his first big song after like yeah because he was publicly outed by the lapd when they had trapped him and like and so the whole point of the routine is we all know the worst part of that story and none of us know the best parts of the story. And I went down a George Michael rabbit hole during the COVID time. I find him a very comforting artist. And I've always, so I just have these tentpole moments that I really remember him being in and out of my life. So 
slap bang in the middle of me sort of like really getting into countdown and like you know music was was wham you know so wake me up before you go go careless whisper i just remember every week after week careless whisper was like the number one song on the charts and it would be again and it would be again and like there was you know all this speculation around George Michael not wanting to be photographed from different sides. Yeah, and all I, this mean, blah, I know blah, all this shit. Like, I mean, I remember yeah, when it, I remember right? when Kelly's Whisper premiered on Hey Hey It's Saturday. Yeah, and Jock and Blackman talking over the top of the song. Like I'm like, shut the fuck up. And that 60 Minutes interview with Mike Munro, and they showed the B-roll footage of him complaining about like what side he wanted to be photographed from, which felt like such a stitch up. And there, obviously, at the very heart of all this was the fact that like. Yeah, this guy was like the poster boy for, you know, like you said, teenage girls, teenage girls around the world. But like that wasn't really, you know, the life that he wanted to be, but was in this industry where that was the, where the money was. Like that's what he was forced to be. He was forced to hide who he actually was. Like it was 25 years ago when he was, you know, busted in that toilet. And in some ways it's amazing how much has changed in those 25 years. That's the, the positive side of the story because he was – like that, you know, that was news all around the world. And he was a joke all around the world. Like it was something that we all laughed at. When you look back on it, you just think he was one of the most creative artists of all time. And he had to go through all that publicly for what? For nothing. For anyway, the story of it's actually very positive. And what it, once he was out and who he became, I think is absolutely glorious. But I'm like you. I, I followed that whole thing. Like, wham, into his solo stuff. I love the fact that he always seemed to be wrestling with, you know, like being a big star versus who he really wanted to be. Like, mm. his lyrics would always be about trying to break free of systems or being, like, caught. For whatever reason, that I really like that a lot. And then, yeah, Listen, Listen Without Prejudice came out. And I remember I was going away end of year 11. On um, so to, Lions Youth of the Year, I was the Victorians Lions Youth of the Year, and all the state winners were doing like a little nerd tour around Australia to see Australia and uh, speak at Lions clubs. And my girlfriend at the time, Beth English, wrote me a little note um, for each day, like it was one of those said, things of when don't I was take away. my clothes out of the laundry, you fucker. <laughs> said, you don't fuck anyone, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're dirty. But, yeah. <laughs> what? what are you saying? Um, no, little like quotes and like little kind of. So it was meant to be every day. I was away, I could open one of these things, and oh, so good. many of them were George Michael lyrics. So you know that thing of like where your life tends to cement mm. like your love for an artist because not only do you like their work, but you associate it with these times in your life. And then during the pandemic. Like, just was, like, really, like, I'm just going to learn everything I can about George Michael. I remember when he died and we were at our friend Lou's place. And, yeah, I remember and that like, you know, Chris, play, and just like, after Christmas. Yeah, just after Christmas and everyone playing the music and sort of sharing memories. And so I ended up watching, like, there's a big live at London concert that's available on YouTube and I watched all that. And just to see the joy he had like i mean there's a moment in the concert you know where he's dressed as the sexy policeman singing <laughs> outside you know doing the and it's just glorious like mm. it's he it, it was amazing what a incredible cuz he would have been too one of those artists that just continued to make great music forever like you, you could tell that about the way his career progressed he would have 
you know, like, because he was always a bit loungy and jazzy or could be at least, you know, as part of what his work is. So as an older artist, I would have loved to see what he did. Well, people talk about like the uh, evolution of the Beatles in that seven-year period. Like they went from being this pop, you know, boy band to being, you know, the greatest band of all time. But it was in such an accelerated period. And I didn't realise, for some reason I thought Wham! was around for longer. It was only four years, 82 to 86. And then he quickly went from Wham! to Faith and then from Faith to Listen Without Prejudice. And if you follow the trajectory of those like four to five albums, that I think is equally as impressive in how his songwriting progressed. And have you seen the documentary? I haven't seen it yet, no. Oh, it's great. And the one thing I didn't realise was how early on in the process he was involved in the production. And there's this great anecdote where – Careless Whisper was one of the first songs that they had written, Andrew and, and George had written, and they just kept it in their back pocket because they knew it was like this this gold. And then when it finally came time to record it, they'd already had a bit of success with the first two albums. And so he'd flown out to New Orleans to work with this legendary producer who'd worked with like Aretha Franklin and James Brown and recorded in the studio with all these legends. And, you know, they got the sax solo going. And then when he heard it, he was like, I don't like it. And he came back and plays it for Andrew. And they actually play it in the documentary. It's this kind of raw cut of the original recording of Kellis Whisper. And it's just not magical. Like it's fine, but it just, he sounds tentative. It's overproduced. It feels like Amer- that American overproduced, just not what that song would be. And so Andrew and George talked about it. And George says, I reckon I could produce this myself i think i know enough now and andrew's like yeah if i can go for it and so every part of that song is george michael like he found the saxophone solo went through like six saxophonists till they found the guy who could get that exact sound the level of the production everything about it is george and when you think about that then like you know the beatles had george martin but you've got this one songwriter who's coming up with the songs writing them but then also producing them and there's just such a like I, I can't stop listening to Listen Without Prejudice now. Like the last three days, it's all I've been listening to. And there's so much intricacy in the way like he's cho- – like the, even the types of microphones he uses, like everything is slightly distorted. He's obviously going as far away as he can from that really poppy, faith, sh- clean, shiny MTV sound to something that's just a bit, I don't know, more, more rough around, a bit more cynical. It feels a bit darker. It's just – yeah, it's amazing. I mean, Freedom 90 is – one of those like songs that just is so full of joy. But you, when you start to look at like some of his other songs, like Outside being one of them, but there was other songs that came along later in his career that just the universality, like the fact that we as a world told him that he should be ashamed of who he was and yet when he came out, like or was forced to come out but was then able to embrace being out, mm. like didn't lose a fan – like, you know, yeah. I remember when I was DJing, like, weddings, <laughs> like, George Michael songs were the most guaranteed to have everyone from the grandma to the, yeah. you know, the teenage kids all dancing at the same time. It was genuinely universal music. It was that the sort of music that your mum could like but that your cool friends could like. And it's so yeah. rare that an artist is able to str- straddle that sort of mainstream but also critical line, right? Well, it's funny Well, because in Wham!, that was almost the calculation was we are going to be just like we are the antithesis to punk, you know, the world needs brightness and fun and positivity. Like that is what that band was about and probably why it was so successful because they were this splash of colour in quite a dark sort of music scene. 
But then the way he, ten, not even 10 years later, he flips on his head with this really ponderous, cynical album of like, you know, kind of some dancey sort of like, you know, R&B tunes, but a lot of, real, like you say, jazzy kind of stuff, but with really complex lyrics and just this sense of melancholy through the album. <laughs> like, oh, it's just amazing. I, I, I can't yeah. wait to, to watch it again. And Andrew Ridgely too comes across as like just so honest about his place in the history of the band. But like, no less essential. Like, like he says, yeah, George was clearly the better songwriter, and we had to have that meeting where George said, if we're going to get to where we want to get to, then I need to take charge and have and be credited for all the songs. And Andrew, like, just make sure we look cool and that everyone's happy. <laughs> and like, I don't want to sound like a minimizing because yeah. he did write some of the music, but essentially, right. you had this incredibly creative but tortured guy. And then you had this dude who was just fun and light and laughter and just – he was – like Andrew was more what Wham was. George was the talent, but then Andrew was everything else. It's just it just goes to show, Will, you don't – in a partnership, you don't need to be the most talented or famous <laughs> one to be an essential member of the group. I don't know who I'm referring to when I make that comparison. I mean, now that you're in Torquay, like running your surf shop with the <laughs> – you married a – Gemma, of course, was in Bananarama. A lot of people don't know that, but <laughs> – uh, I'll just finish this letter from Patria. She uh, wants to ask you, Will, uh, are you still an avid USA uh, survivor devotee like oh, I yeah. am? Yeah, I am. Yes. Uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on the last season. Personally, I thought it was a great season of contestants. The format is not perfect. And as much as I think Jeff has been great in the past, he makes too many comments and challenges and tribal councils to put the messages into the contestants' thoughts. But I loved it till the end. What did you think? Uh, I liked it a lot, actually. I thought it was a pretty good season of Survivor. I am very interested in the narrative around Survivor because, like, Survivor is one of those shows, it's been on for, what, 43 seasons or 44 seasons now, and never has – well, I mean, I'm sure there has been other examples of this. I'm just very aware of it because of my, like, you know, following this show. But fuck me. If I was the producers of Survivor, <laughs> I would be constantly mad at the fact that everyone in the world thinks they know how they can make Survivor better than the producers of Survivor. <laughs> and I count myself in that, by the way. Like there are times when I watch it going, oh, I wouldn't have done that or I'm doing I'm like, but you know what? They've made 44 years of this shit. <laughs> they know, you know? they do. Like let them – like sometimes they do things in the show that annoy me but – you can understand why they're trying to do them. Like they're trying to evolve the show. They're trying to make sure that it's still, you know, a dynamic and new show. And sometimes I don't like those things either. But I think as a general vibe, like the fact that, I mean, there are a few shows that 44 seasons into their evolution are a stronger survivor in my opinion. 44 seasons. That's crazy. Well, they do two a year. Two a year, yeah. Two a year most years, yeah. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, that is Tofop for this week. Uh, if you have laundry, I would suggest you go get it out of the dryer before <laughs> someone writes you an angry note. Uh, if I can send people to patreon.com yes, uh, slash Tofop, that's the best place uh, to support the show. You can donate as little as a dollar a month up to whatever you want. There's prizes uh, if you donate $20 or more, autographed poster uh, of Will and I from one of our live shows. Um, but there's also ad-free episodes, full videos of Tofop, plus uh, heaps and heaps of James Fosdyke original artwork that you can't get anywhere else. So patreon.com slash Tofop. I'd also encourage people to go to Tofop TV on YouTube if you want some free Tofop clips. We put up multiple clips every week. Uh, Tofop TV on YouTube. And then uh, Tofop.com 
That's our website. That's right. <laughs> hard to remember. Dovelove.com, we can find all our great podcasts. And Will, you're doing Gruen again. Yeah, Gruen's back on the tally at the moment. ABC iView, if you want to catch episodes of Gruen. My old special, Will Logical, is still there. I have a few dates left on my tour. But for Sydney, friends, I am doing my improvised show, What You Talking About, Will, at the Sydney Comedy Store for completely unique shows. So, um, yeah, come down to that. That's always fun. And it's particularly fun to do those improvised shows, I will say, when I'm not developing material for a new show because my mind is not on what could this become. It's very much just on like having a muck around on the night and doing it for the sake of doing it. So I'm really looking forward to those shows. And of course, Philosophy um, is regularly back these days. So it's one of our podcasts that unfortunately you cannot find just in the Tofot feed, but uh, <laughs> you have to go to a whole new feed called Philosophy. Uh, but the episodes are there if you want to check them out. All right, that's the show for this week. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Yeah.